and welcome to Escape with me, Simon Calder. This is the podcast that takes you to the ends of the earth. And I'm joined once again, I'm delighted to say, by the DK Eyewitness travel publisher, Georgina D. Hello. Hello. Well, coming up together, we're going to bring you a masterclass, I claim, on how to use a guidebook. Our city break destination in the 48 hour series is Singapore and can reveal why looking at a lamppost in Prague could help you out of trouble. But first, our talking point today is the best way to explore a region. Is that by train, car, bike, tourist coach even, or maybe something else? Georgina, whether it's um, East Anglia, um, or indeed Oxfordshire, where you um, kindly talked about uh, last time you were with us, or maybe somewhere like Finisterre in northwest Spain. What's your default way of getting around? Well, um, I think it totally depends on where you are. Um, I mean, at, at home, um, I, I, I will admit to using a car. Um, <laughs> but so, for example, um, I was in Vietnam. I hate to say, I think it was about 20 years ago. Um, but, uh, and we uh, traveled nearly the length of the country on a train overnight. And it was amazing. Um, it was it was one of the best, uh, way better than possibly here. Um, and I did interrailing in my youth. And so I really love train travel. But I think it depends. And you can get a good good feel for, the, for a place if you're um, taking local transport, I think. Well, I couldn't agree more. So why do so many people use cars? I mean, OK, it gives you kind of independence, gives you mobility, but they're, of course, environmentally questionable. They're expensive. Um, they are very often compared with pro- public transport. And also they bestow a lot of responsibility. I mean, I've had some nightmare journeys around Italy because you cannot find anywhere legally to park. Um, you go past a sign which you can't, properly understand and what it means is if you stray an inch past this sign you will be in the old town centre and therefore you'll get a 130 euro fine coming through the post in a few months time uh, just awful but people love them including a bit you well I'm at home yes um but yeah my god Italy I mean one place I don't think I would ever drive in my entire life would be Naples um just I mean it's terrifying walking around with the, with the cars never mind driving um I don't know I suppose it's probably convenience over everything else that but I agree with you I think um for me I I wouldn't I would never go to a destination and hire a car unless we were you know the, a, a sort of fly drive in the US or something would be on my bucket list but I haven't done that yet oh right and I'm interested that you haven't because that is the one place where I sort of make an exception because the public transport is generally ropey yes and the um uh roads are generally good and cars are very easy to rent and very relatively inexpensive now would you consider though in in other places an entirely public transport way to get around i mean fortunately um i mean i've just been doing uh, something called seven adventures in seven days many of which went badly wrong good, good. but i found <laughs> during the course of it that actually the uh, being able to go online instantly and find out when the next bus from Belfast to Ballymena is or whether you, there is still a train that is going to get you from Holt Whistle to Preston at uh, 10 o'clock at night um, that that's very useful and because we've got all this you, you, you know, in the olden days 
um, you had to carry a timetable around or you had to guess or you had to ask or phone people up. Now you've got all the information at your, your fingertips. So, Well, I still find, I mean, you know, growing up without a smartphone, I still find it amazing that, yeah, like you say, you can just Google when a bus is going to arrive. No more waiting at a bus stop for half an hour. But um, as I said, I went tr- I went into railing and we had to carry around a massive, oh. the massive tome of um, uh, train timetables. Um, although I have a certain affection for for that tome, um, whereas now I'm sure it's just yeah a hell of a lot easier. Well, maybe we have to ask you back to talk about um, uh, Interrail or something. I have some strong feelings about because, well, if, you see, when I was when you were probably interrailing, or uh, I think I'm flattering myself here, but um, when I was the age at which you were interrailing, I was hitchhiking. Yes, and uh, I would say that's that's a very very good way to discover. A region because first of all you meet a self-selecting bunch of nice people um secondly they will tell you stuff you don't know they will introduce you to places that you might not have spotted um and it also doesn't cost you very much money and it doesn't cost the planet very much either because um it's the uh, most environmentally sensitive form of uh motorized transport so um does that yep. tempt you at all i have to say i've never gone i've never done um uh hitchhiking never You've no never i know i know oh. i know we we'll have to get you, you back can, for a proper argument you can, yeah yeah you can uh, you can kick me out now I um i know it's funny isn't it i don't know if if it's um i mean i'm saying that i probably did when we were when we did go around europe but um and there was no train um uh but on a i certainly haven't done it recently right Oh, okay. Um, and what about things like tourist coaches and the you know, buses, whether they are taking you on a tour of the highlands of Scotland or just um, whizzing around the city of Bath and you're in the, uh, the, the uh, top, of, top of the bus? Uh, the, I've done the only uh, city tour bus I've, I've ever done. It was in Dublin um, a long time ago, um, and I think we just we were only we weren't there for very long. Just wanted to get a feel. I know, weird. You're frowning at me. No, um, oh, <laughs> oh, frowning. I'm, I'm looking at you with with interest and and surprise. <laughs> um, it was actually really good. The um, the the best thing about it was the was the the guy on the microphone uh, with a very strong Irish accent and um, and a great. Uh, comedic patter um but i don't know i think they have their their time place um i can't imagine now i have two kids um i can't imagine oh god the thought of them on a coach just yeah fills me with utter dread uh well you you were very kindly telling us about your um, remarkable achievements with them a couple of podcasts ago uh, taking them to um cultural locations um but the big problem surely is that we have to change the way that we uh we, we visit places because the traffic jams are just so bad i was in the lake district um the end of august and i met in the beautiful victorian resort of grange over sand i met a scottish family who said the only reason we've come here and it's perfectly nice the only reason we've come here is that we literally couldn't find a car park between here and windermere and this is the first one we found oh no it's ridiculous yes so so things have to be done and um uh the public transport has to be improved of course have you ever been on a tourist coach yourself somehow i can't of course of course yes um but i i guess that it with the greatest respect as a guidebook publisher you would probably prefer it if people had your uh, DK eyewitness guidebook and they were walking around with it rather than sitting on top of a double-decker bus. I would. Being, being taught, okay, well, we, we will we get on. We can talk about that later. <laughs> we, we, I think we should. Time now, though.
though for our 48 hour city break feature somewhere where you're never ever i hope gonna rent a car because it's not necessary um singapore somewhere i've never even actually hitched very good public transport and very good taxis um and somewhere that you are fond of yes uh i actually went there on my honeymoon uh, oh. only four four years ago um uh, with the kids um and so we were we actually went to stay with some friends so i don't have any hot tips on hotels i'm afraid ah. um uh but yeah it was wonderful and um yeah it sort of says something about my traveling life these days because i'm talking about travel with my children again but um that it was it was an amazing place for them um and yeah we really loved it what what ages were they when you were there my youngest son turned five whilst we were there okay um so he will always remember his fifth birthday and uh so five and six they were at that age at that time very good very good um now getting there of course it couldn't be easier considering it's nearly seven thousand miles away um non-stop flights multiple times a day on singapore airlines on british airways Qantas also stops there on the way to uh, Sydney um, and infinitely many combinations of getting there on one-stop flights via the Gulf, which are probably going to be cheaper. You Almost all the flights are from Heathrow. You can fly Singapore Airlines from Manchester, but from anywhere else, yeah, just change probably in the Gulf. Um, now, you stayed with friends. That's so lucky having friends there. Uh, They're I, not there anymore. <laughs> um, I prefer, well, when, when I'm staying there, I just find a cheap and cheerful place to stay in Chinatown. That's where you're going to get uh, some semblance of the idea of this is how it used to be before modernity took over. Did you do much shopping, Georgina? Um, we Yeah, we did a bit. Um, uh, Little India is a lovely place to go. Um, there's also really lovely... Um, bookshops around there as well um which uh, i really in, i mean obviously i'm in publishing so maybe that <laughs> that is determined by that um but um yeah no it was it was great uh, well talking of uh, little india and that whole the, the whole idea that you've got these wonderful communities we mentioned chinatown mentioned little india which is where the people from those uh, those countries go there's so those those parts of the world go um also arab street which isn't exactly a street, it's um, a whole neighbourhood full of uh, people from uh, the Middle East. And this, I guess, the, the British Quarter, the old colonial hub as well, a, a, a beautiful kind of mosaic of different different areas, strongly to be recommended. Um, and one of the greatest places in the world to eat, yeah. I would say. Yes, the food was amazing. Um, and I think we um, we did a sort of, Classic. We actually had dinner on the top of you know Marina Bay, the hotel, the restaurant oh, there. Fantastic. It was. I mean, the, the right. views are just right. incredible. So Marina like Bay. That. This is if you can imagine a. That was a, without our children. I hasten to yes, but but a flattened out M. Um, does that sound about yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, right, perched right by the sea, just uh, to the east of, of downtown, uh, the hub of Singapore. And with a swimming pool on the roof. Well, yes, and the top, the sort of top bit of the M is shaped like a boat, uh, obviously. Um, and yeah, swimming pool, which we sort of could just about see because um, it's part of the hotel. We were we were in a different part of it at a restaurant, um, and yeah, I mean that restaurant is all about the views. Um, it was it was incredible. Very good, uh, marvelous uh, hawker centres as well as uh, on, on ground level. Uh, really good beware of the taxes quite a lot of prices are are quoted um i think um 
20 Singapore dollars plus plus, and that means you're going to be paying 10% tax and 10% surcharge. Sorry, 10% service on that. So it's going to be um, well, a 20 pound thing. That's going to be, I'm going to make it 24.44 um, in Singapore dollars. Uh, and the surprise I always enjoy in Singapore is getting out into the countryside of which there is some despite this being somewhere the size of the Isle of Wight with um, about three million people in and there's a wonderful high altitude walk where you're taken through the treetops on this um, on these wonderful walkways did you manage to do that no we didn't do that okay well if you've still got friends in Singapore then search online for um, rainforest boardwalk Singapore or something similar and you will find out all about it Let's move on. Uh, Singapore uh, in guidebook history. This is somewhere, well, I guess, where there's a little bit of um, heritage because this was where, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Tony and Maureen Wheeler, the founders of Lonely Planet, um, you might have heard of them, they're a different guidebook publisher, uh, found a, a hotel in Chinatown, as it happens, and, and wrote, wrote up across Asia on the cheap, which they would say, I think, with some merit, that kind of began the guidebook revolution. Now, you have picked this up as travel publisher for DK Eyewitness. So tell us about your job and tell us about DK Eyewitness, please. Yes, of course. Um, so my job is to make sure that we are publishing the right books to the right destinations. That um, So my, uh, my team, I have a team of editors and designers and cartographers, um, and they are commissioning our authors around the world to write and update our guidebooks so i'm responsible for making sure that they can do their jobs properly and eyewitness was a revolutionary concept when it was launched so i'm gonna say the mid 1990s you yes, know better than 26 me. years ago this year Tw- oh is it really mm. is that 1993 so yeah. yes okay well that that was a reasonable guess yeah, on bad. my part thank <laughs> you very much um, and, and uh unlike the existing guidebooks which were at the time were basically lonely planet or rough guides have recently started what was different about them well what we wanted to do was um make sure that you could see the destination before you go so um the so really important part that we wanted to focus on was uh, what a place looks like so really beautiful photography um but also we have these amazing hand-drawn illustrations what we call cutaways but essentially a kind of cross-section of made like st paul's cathedral for example so you can really learn about um about those kind of places before you go so what we wanted to do was make sure that we were catering for people who didn't want to read lots of text um but really wanted to immerse themselves in that destination um before they go but also once um once they're there doesn't that though kind of as it were spoil the surprise if, if all you're doing is reading a few you know, lines of of text in a dusty dusty old guidebook and then you turn up and you see St Peter's in Rome um you're gonna feel more of a wow than perhaps if you've got your DK eyewitness guide and you thought oh right okay I know what it looks like I know where the uh uh, where, where the chapels, where the tombs are and so on. And I, I'm kind of familiar with it. Does it take away some of the mystery? Well, I think that I think it adds to it. I think it enables you to really get excited about where you want to go and what you want to see. Um, and I think also that just different people have different ways of getting excited about what they want to do and planning how they want to see it. I mean, obviously, that is a prime example of somewhere you definitely want to go. But there may be other lesser known places that you'd never thought of going. And actually seeing the f- photography inspires you to go and see it. 
Okay, let's let's really move into the into the masterclass of how to use a guidebook. Um, I've noted down here. Understand when it's where it's coming from. So, uh, tell us what the ethos is of a DK eyewitness guide. And um, what we want to do is um, give. The, our readers the opportunity to make their own decisions about where they want to go um, we want to give them the facts um, and uh, we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to basically have your trip in your way um, I think it's really important um, especially actually in this, this day and age when there's lots of opinions of where you should or shouldn't go and they're very strident and we want to make sure that you can make those decisions yourself but um, anybody who's um, uh, 20 is just going to say, excuse me, um, you may not have noticed, but we seem to be in the 21st century and anything that I want to find out about any destination on the planet, I can find in two shakes with an online search. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, and I think um, one, what I would say to that is that there's, you know, old technologies don't generally die. I think sometimes the best technology is ink on paper um, and I'm not for one second suggesting that anybody's not going to be searching for things on their on their phones as well. But I think you, the thing about the internet is you don't find what you're not looking for. Um, and I think what happens with a guidebook is a certain amount of serendipity. Um, and the, you can flick through the pages and find something you weren't looking for. And I think the other thing that is always something I have in my mind is that sort of image of somebody sitting at a cafe deciding what to do that afternoon with their, with their travel partner. Um, and sitting with a guidebook is a really sociable kind of calming lovely experience whereas sitting rolling scrolling on your phone less so um so i think the two can work really well together um and you're right uh, what's interesting i think also um is that the 20 year olds uh, in our lives are also coming back just to print in general um wanting a break from their very digitally led lives and i don't see that travel guides are any different um, one thing I very, very strongly in favour of is people actually reading the guidebook a long time before they go. So you can actually work out where you want to go. And another technique I sort of use is use it to decide to go to places which aren't in the book on the grounds that anywhere which isn't in the book is probably not going to have many tourists and may well have um, uh, some interesting surprises. Discuss. <laughs> well, I agree completely with using it before you go. And I think... Um Generally, um, people tend to buy their guidebooks a few months before they go. So it tends to depend, I think, on you know how much investment of time and effort you've put into planning your trip. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things that I think is so that you get from a guidebook that you'd never get from a, an online search is that you know it might be the first physical thing you hold about your trip. We don't get paper tickets anymore, um, and so it gives you the, it's, that's so exciting. And people tell us that what they love is sitting in their lunch break at work and getting their guidebook out they don't want to sit on their computer um, they want to sit and flick through and decide what they're going to do um, and of course your point around uh, if it's not in the guidebook then um, maybe you're not going to get a whole troop of people there with the guidebooks in hand um, I mean obviously I, I would uh, I think that's where your research in lots of different areas becomes important okay um do you think people make allowances for the production process because with the best will in the world if i go into a well-known travel guidebook shop and i think i'll have the dk eyewitness guide to paris um that will not have been printed that morning having been researched this week uh clearly there's a production process and it might well be that actually the information in that even in a relatively recently published book is a year out of date well yes i think people understand uh 
as you say, the production process to a degree. Um, I think the thing I would say is that uh, there is a, there's always an assumption that whatever is online is up to date. And actually, I think that's a bit of a fallacy as well. Um, so I think whatever information you're, wherever you're getting your information from, it's just making sure that you've done the research and you know, you know when it was written. Do you think people properly appreciate that guidebooks are written by objective professional people and therefore perhaps they have more value than a, a whole range of 100 different opinions online at, say, TripAdvisor? Well, I, the, trip, the TripAdvisor thing is really interesting and um, and I think it was part of the, you know, a few years ago there was sort of, you know, the death knell for the guidebook and um, because of the likes of TripAdvisor. And really, it's just a different type of information. TripAdvisor is crowdsourced information and you, everybody is quite uh, adept now um, at sort of filtering out um, what they think is real and what isn't. But yeah, the level of trust, I think, is is can be a challenge. Um, our, yeah, as you say, our guidebooks are written by experts who have dedicated their careers and their lives to um, to explaining the world in a way that um, is professional and trusted. And that's really, I mean, it's, you know, the absolute core of what we do. And finally, my other note that I've written down is feedback to the authors. So... Uh, just as um, it's a very, very good uh, way to let other people know when they're travelling to post something on um, a well-known travellers forum, I think it's also very useful to, to just send a quick note back to the authors, back to the editors and say something has changed and you need to know about it because... Uh, you want to put it in the new edition. Yes, and please do. And we do get um, our, our readers doing that, um, which is amazing. We always we always respond and say thank you and uh, make sure, yeah. So please, if anyone notices something. And will we ever get to the stage, and this is something I've kind of daydreamed about, where um, I am going next week, say, to Barcelona. I want to take with me my... Uh, an absolutely up-to-date guy i want to take it on paper but i'm very happy to to print that out particularly on the office printer um and can is there ever going to be an online dk uh not archive the opposite of archive but something which is so live that um you know if a if a train line closes or something you're going to get that and the following day anybody downloading it will get that up-to-date information so it's almost a kind of interactive guidebook are we going to get there well well you never know um i mean we're always looking at ways of uh, subverting the way that, that it works and so i wouldn't like to say no uh, i can't say yes because it's certainly um, not something we're planning for tomorrow but i mean that's the dream isn't it and um and as technology different types of printing technology as well as well as anything else uh, gets better then those kind of opportunities um, present themselves Okay, and talking of new and exciting things, relatively new, uh, Destination of the Week, Tintagel Castle. Have you been there? I haven't. Okay, well, I would, if I were you, take your boys there very soon, because this is a dramatic place on the uh, north coast of of Cornwall. Uh, It's always been a really spectacular and mystical place. And of course, you've got the whole legend of King Arthur and... Merlin and everything um, circulating there but um, it's always been a bit of a a slog to get to the actual castle Um, but now English Heritage has spent quite a lot of money five million pounds they've got a very uh, nice donation towards it and they put in a brilliant bridge which 
uh, helps guide you across this uh, extraordinary ravine. Um, I was there. Uh, it, it was um, slightly late opening. Finally opened in, um, in in August this year. But the good thing is that this time of year is now a really good time to be there because you're away from the summer rush. And I've been hearing a bit more about it from Georgia Butters of English Heritage. So we're now in the mainland courtyard of the castle. And this is the, the main entrance to the castle where people would have brought their horses in and stayed them and the constable of the castle would have been based here and then they would have proceeded um, over in that direction to an area of the castle that really narrowed and where there were two really high walls probably with very dramatic flames either side and that part of the castle which has now gone fallen into the sea that led to the inner sanctum of the great hall over on the island side and that's what our bridge now connects and what sort of era are we talking about well, does this go right back to the days well, of arthur well, not quite no this castle was built in 1240 and it was built by richard earl of cornwall who was really taken with the arthurian legend and what he was doing here was building uh, a fabulous castle that would befit a king of that nature and then on the island he was placing other things on the island that also fed into that story and the story of Tristan and Isolde. Um, but what you had earlier on the island part of the site are buildings from the 600s and 500s that were probably the seat of Cornish kings. Georgia Butters of English Heritage and Tintagel is open right through the year, but not every day through the uh, winter, so do check online or indeed in the DK Eyewitness Guide. Um, the new edition of which will contain full details. Uh, Warning of the week, um, uh, uh, Georgina, have you been to Prague recently? I have been, but not recently. Okay, well, it's uh, obviously a very popular destination, particularly in autumn, but the Foreign Office has multiple warnings. Even before you get there, they say there's a risk of pickpocketing on flights from the UK. Keep your passport and valuables with you before and during your flight, not in the overhead lockers. Um, once you're there, beware of bogus plainclothes policemen who may ask to see your foreign currency and passport. If approached, don't show your money. Instead, go with them to the nearest police station. But what can help you out if you are getting into trouble is to look at the nearest lamppost. I couldn't believe this. Every lamppost in Prague has a six-digit number on it posted at eye level. So if you, for example, needed to phone up the police and say, help, I'm here, you wouldn't need to try and work out what unpronounceable street you were on. You just read them a, a number which them being brilliant will be able to translate from English. And uh, so the Foreign Office says, should you require assistance from the police or emergency services, these codes will help pinpoint your location if you are unable to offer an exact address. And finally, bargain of the week. Uh, it's the season when lots of people are going off on long-haul flights. You can spend almost as much on the Heathrow Express to Heathrow as you could on your flight, so get there on the cheap. Uh, various ways of doing it. Two bus options, I would suggest. Uh, if you've got an early flight, then catch the N9 bus from central London. Um, that will cost you only £1.50. Just use a contactless card. Even better, uh, particularly if you're transferring between Heathrow and Gatwick Airport and it's not the middle of the night, is the X26 bus. A remarkable thing from West Croydon Station. Um, it goes all the way to Heathrow. It takes about an hour and three quarters. Fascinating trip around southwest London. Uh, that will also cost you only £1.50. 
And if you're in central London, you want to get there quite quickly, but not Heathrow Express quickly, then just catch the TFL train. It will cost you about one third of the uh, normal Heathrow Express. Well, that's all for now, but we'll be back soon to help you plan your escape and help you save some money in the company of the adventurer Paul Goldstein. But for now, from me, Simon Calder, and the DK Eyewitness travel publisher Georgina D. Thank you so much for being with us, Georgina. Goodbye. Bye.